You're listening to a sermon from Hebron Baptist Church, a church in the northern Kentucky Cincinnati area that's committed to making disciples who make disciples. We want our love for God to be evident in our lives and for the Word of God to bear fruit as we go on mission across the street and around the globe. We hope after hearing this message, you'll connect with us on our website at hebronbaptist.org and visit our campus, not far from I-275 in Hebron, some Sunday morning. Our worship services are at 9.30 or 11. And now, here's a message from God's perfect, life-changing Word. may be seated, turn in your Bibles or turn on your devices to Psalm 90, Psalm 90, it's page 522 in the Pew Bible that is in front of you. If you would like to follow along in the translation that you, that we have, that I am reading from. We started a series last Sunday uh, on the Knowing God, a series on the attributes of God. We're looking at the incommunicable or the attributes that only God can have. Uh, my hope for this series is that it lifts our view of God, that we see him rightly for who he is. It helps us to love him deeper and that we are just overwhelmed to worship him more. So if you would, let's read. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing here in a minute, but let's just uh, start in Psalm chapter 90, verse 7. I'm just going to read to verse 12 as we begin and then ask God to bless our time in his word. Verse 7 says, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or even if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we, might, we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Let us pray. God, we are thankful that we might come to your word just to get a glimpse of your glory, just to know you, a God who is great, that you might make yourself known to us is, is uncomprehensible, that we can do this and know you and that you want to know us. So God, as we come to your word, teach us, help us to see your mightiness, help us to see your glory. Help us to see your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I feel like that time is always running out. When I have a project to do, I feel like I'm always chasing daylight, trying to get it done before time runs out. Even age, it seems to be it's always in the decaying nature and not in the adding nature. I looked through my phone and saw some videos and pictures this weekend of, of, of way that, that it's affected my children. How Franklin now that I saw a video of him singing a song when he was three or four years old. And now that he's nine years old, I just, my mind is blown. And now Isabella, who's closer to two than he was, she was being a baby. I just can't imagine how time is, is, is being uh, moved in that way. We look at time and we, we think of how that when we see something and we're anticipating something good, it seems like it never gets here, right? 
And then when something bad is going on or that we're suffering, it seems like time moves so slowly. But it's in the midst of time that we call out to a God who is out of time. A God who is eternal. It is a God who is separated from time. It is a God who has no beginning and has no end. It is him who is our hope. The good news for us is that God is not fixed in time like we are. And because of that, we can trust him in all things. You see, we don't need God, and God specifically doesn't need to go in and out of time and control time. He doesn't need our dreamed-up ways of controlling time. He doesn't need a souped-up DeLorean like Marty McFly to go back in time or forward in time to see all things. He doesn't need a, a phone box police box like Doctor Who to, to travel through time and space to understand what is going on. He doesn't need a pim particle like the Avengers to go back and in and out of time. He doesn't need these things because God is eternal. God is all-knowing. God is outside of time, and he sees everything from the beginning and everything to the end, and we see that he is the one who controls all things because of this eternity. Well, because of this, we know what is the eternity of God. Well, Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology helps us to understand in this way. God has no beginning or end or succession of moments in his own being. He sees all time equally vividly, yet God sees in time and acts in time. Friends, it is because it is God who is eternal that all of our hope rests we need not a God who is fixed in moments or in time. We need a God who can see everything from the beginning to the end. If God is a succession or God is growing or God is something that more like us, then we need an upgrade. And yet we know that God is perfect. God is eternal. There is no way that he can be limited from time. He is already perfect. He is already pure. And his et eternal nature is satisfying because we know our lives are in his eternal hands. This is a God that we can trust. This is a God whom we know. And we know that we can place both our lives and even our deaths in his hand because he's eternal. We come here to Psalm 90, which the psalmist tells us was written by Moses. More than likely, this psalm was written in the midst of the wilderness. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of things that they did not understand. But it, Moses found solace in the eternal nature of God that helped him and helped the Israelites in their times of hardship. This opening of the psalm corresponds with the close and that we see this internal nature of God. That it is the eternity of God that actually is the answer, not the antithesis of our homelessness or our brevity of life. It is that when we trust in an infinite God that we can always have hope, that we have hope and an eternal dwelling place. So in this passage, we're going to see as we read through it, four truths of the infinite nature of God. The first that we see here is God is timelessly eternal or he's infinite. 
timelessly eternal. Verse 1 to 2, it reads this way. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. Now, I had a friend at my previous church who was a concrete plant manager. And he helped me to understand what concrete was. I didn't realize that there is even ancient forms, several hundred years worth of concrete that people have mixed up, that you can go and see that things after hundreds of years that concretes can last. We think of the uses for concrete, our roads, our buildings, many different things that we trust in the nature of concrete. The foundations for our houses are more likely to be concrete because of its nature. I learned from him that concrete is made up of many different things, of sand and rock and water, and there's some additives. These additives are important. Uh, A little too much, and the concrete will never harden. Um, Not enough, uh, and, and it will be hardened too quickly. These additives like calcium and other things that go into making concrete Uh, They seem by themselves to be just little things, but together they make a concrete that lasts for a long time. If you take one element from the concrete mixture, though, it all changes. And the same way of the attributes of God, if we take one of the nature of God out, he ceases to be perfect and a God in whom we can trust We take away his infiniteness, his incomprehensibility, uh, his aseity and unchangingness. If we take his holiness away, any element that we take away from God, he ceases to be perfect in a God that we can trust. And as each attribute layers on its own, it makes this perfect being God. And the eternity or eternal nature of God is foundational because we want and we have a God who never changes. He never decreases. He never gets less. He is one that we can trust forever and ever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We must understand that the eternity of God or the fact that he is timelessly eternal, he is outside of time, he is eternal from that, that we must understand that he, it shows him to be the God that we can trust. Well, here in verses 1 to 2, we see Moses speak to what the whole Bible speaks to in the eternity of God. In verse 1, he speaks to the very fact that God has been faithful to uh, been a refuge, has been a home. Think about that. If the Israelites are in the wilderness not having a home, he has been their home. He has been faithful to them from generation to generation, he says. From the time of Adam, Abraham, the patriarchs, to Moses, and now the Israelites, God has been faithful. But we turn to verse 2, and Moses goes even deeper. And even more sure when he says that God, before the mountains were born, you were. 
before you gave birth to the earth and the world. You are from eternity to eternity. Maybe your version of the Bible says everlasting to everlasting. What this is teaching us is that what we know about God is that he has eternally always been. There was never a time that he wasn't. And that in the future, there is never a time that he will cease to exist. That God does not have a birth certificate and he doesn't have, never will have, a death certificate. This word or this phrasing, one commentator from the 1700s said, uh, Adam Clark said, this is the highest description of the eternity of God to which human language can reach. Everlasting to everlasting, eternity to eternity. This helps us to see that if God, uh, that God is not bound by time as we know it. That there was never a time where he started and there's never a time that he will finish. If this were not the case, that means that God were bound in time like we are. That there would be a successive nature of who God is. That we think of ourselves in succession, that right now maybe you might say, I'm 16 years old. And you might think of your great-grandmother who says, I am 95 years old. We know we are in a successive nature of growing and changing. That we are getting better. That we know only what yesterday taught us and what tomorrow or today brings. God is not like that. God in his eternity can see the, the beginning and the end all at once. He is, he is never growing. He is never changing. He is never moving. He is uh, always experiencing time at the same time from past to the future. And how, think of this compared to ourselves. Think how many times that we get trapped just in the moment where we are. We can't see outside of what's going on, and the right now overwhelms us. Isn't it good that we have a God that sees everything? Isn't it great to know that God is not trapped in circumstances? He is not fixed on one thing, but he is fixed on everything, controlling all things. This should be our hope. As 2 Peter 3, 8 tells us, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. This is the God, the eternal hope, and that we can cast all our anxieties on him. In comparison to God, the psalm also helps us to see this next truth. Secondly, that humanity is fixed in time. Humanity is fixed in time or that we are finite. We are bound in time. Listen to how Moses writes in verse 3 or follow along with me. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return descendants of Adam. For in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by and like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning it sprouts and grows. By evening it withers and dries up. Wow, what a comparison, just a few verses. The eternal nature of God and the, and the small nature or the bound nature of humanity. We constantly keep track of time, don't we? Uh, we're, many of us are wearing watches right now. 
Many of us use our phones and are constantly looking to see what time it is. We emblazon large clocks, big band throughout cities and different places to see what time it is. Uh, maybe big clocks on the back of the wall so the preacher knows what time it is and he can get done on time, right? We are bound in time. We rarely or ever do not describe things if not in a set of time. We say, oh, remember when I was in elementary school? Remember when I was a student in college? Remember uh, when we were first married? Remember last week? Everything is confined within time. And humanity, it is clear that we are confined or bound in this time. Humanity, we know, and, and as Moses speaks to us, that we are fixed in time because we have a finish of time. Look at how this is, that mankind, you will return to dust. Return, descendants of Adam. Moses hearkens back using the same verb that is used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, to help us be reminded, as, as God says, you will eat a bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Since you were taken from it, you are dust and will return to dust. This is the consequence of the fall. Knowing that we in our bodies and in our, life, uh, in our lives that we are bound to finish. Moses compares it even further to the grass that is refreshed by the morning dew. And yet by the burning heat of the sun is dead. Only useful for burning for energy or feeding of the animals. This is in stark contrast of the eternity of God that reminds us here that we are finite. This should warn us of how helpless we are when it comes to the world and seeing and making decisions for ourselves. That how much we need God. He can see everything in time. We can only see a moment. He can see everything that we will ever experience and we've past experience and we know him and that we need him because we need the best perspective in our lives. Now three weeks ago, Four-year-old Sebastian, who lives in Minnesota, really wanted candy. And he was mad because his great-grandpa and his mother would not get him the candy. So what is a four-year-old to do? Throw a tantrum? Run and scream? Uh, try to eat something else out of the cupboard that maybe isn't good for him? No. He stole his great-grandfather's keys to the car and drove several blocks to the local convenience store. A four-year-old. Can you imagine how that he must have had to do this, stepping on his tippy toes, trying to do the brake and the gas and getting, and surprisingly, he made it. And you know what? Sometimes I think that we're a lot like Sebastian driving that car. We can only see in our lives, just on the other side of the hood, if we keep up and look just a little bit. Sometimes in our life, we speed up and we're going fast in our life, not seeing the danger that lies ahead. Sometimes we break too quickly thinking that there is some suffering or some danger that's coming our way, yet not knowing that God meant it for our good and blessing on the other side. 
Our finite nature does not allow us to see the world as how God sees it. Yet we tend to take and grab control everything only based on our knowledge, on what we can see. But friends, because we are fixed in time, shouldn't we more rely on one who can see all things? Shouldn't we see and trust in the one who is eternal? God sees it all. We cannot. We need to trust his view of the world and our lives. God is eternal and we need him. But there's another fact that we know about the eternal nature of God that should pause us to bow our knee to him. God eternally sees things, but number three, God eternally punishes. We read this portion earlier. Verse 7, for we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days ebb under your way. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or if we are strong, 80. Even the best of them struggle in sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger, your wrath? matches the fear that is due you. Brothers and sisters, as I read through this this week, the the deepness of the the power, the heaviness of these verses just weighed heavier and heavier on my heart. My prayer, or hopefully maybe you felt the same way. Listen to how Moses reads this first in verse 7. Who is God, well, he is consumed eternally in the anger, and we are terrified by your wrath. Moses had seen the anger of God burn, burn for those of God's enemies and for those he loves. Moses saw God punish Pharaoh and and those who would stand against God's people, but he also saw God's wrath poured out on his own people who would make a graven image of him in a golden calf or those, those Israelites who would complain in the wilderness that God was not taking care of them and God's wrath came down upon them and judgment came on them. Moses had a unique perspective of seeing how God is holy how he consumes sin and destruction, that he knows that sin is detestable to God as the word speaks. But in verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. How we see that Moses sees a God who is eternally against sin and this sin being against all sin. But look how personally he comes even more in verse 8 that God knows our personal sin. That God knows everything about us. That God knows the secret things that even only we know about that others don't or that others don't know about us. It's kind of like we are kind of revert back to our childhood, right? When it comes to sin and to God. That only if someone else knows that we did something wrong that it's sin. Right? When we're little kids, only if mom and dad catches us in the act, are we actually doing something wrong? Well, what does this verse remind us? That all sin is sin. And sin, yes, might be against a certain person, but it's against God. 
Even our hidden sin that we might think that we hide from other people is still God is burning in anger against that sin. It is in this that we understand that we might even sin against our, 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 our friends. We might sin against our spouse. We might sin against someone else. But we are ultimately against God. And every sin is against him that he burns against. Verse nine, he tells us, all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or even if we're strong, 80 years, even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Moses reminds us how our lives are now, consequently, because of our sin, are cut more short than we'd like for them to be. That death is a reality to us. As he thinks and he's comparing here, he's not predicting our lifespan or or, uh, making a a bold statement that we're only going to do this. He is just in a comparative way. Think of the patriarchs that he recorded their lifespan. Remember, Moses wrote the first five books, and so he would have penned and authored and recorded uh, Methuselah's life, who, who lived for 969 years. And he says, hey, look, now because of sin, now because sin hits the world and nature, and because sin has now created diseases, and now because of our own sin and consequence, that our lives are short, now from almost a thousand years to 70 to 80 years. This reveals to us the anger that God burns against sin, how nature of sin that men hardly, men and women forget that our mortality and sin are the result of our sin against God. We live in the moment. We think of just now, but we don't think of the weight of how God and his sin, how the world has been affected by it. We say that God is love, and we quote easily John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that that whoever believes in him will not die but live eternal life. But if we kept reading to John 3, 18, anyone who believes in him is not content, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So we understand, friends, that because God is eternal, his judgment and justice of sin is eternal. He is the right judge that our sin will not end in this life, but it will be judged in the one to come. God never becomes less holy. God never changes his mind on sin. God's wrath eternally burns against sin against him. And we must understand that it is a God who judges just as harshly in Genesis through Leviticus as he does in Revelation as this is the God who is eternally our king. It is the eternity of God that means that we are never off the hook, that we are never outside of his judgment. Stephen Sharnock, who is a a Puritan preacher, he wrote this and how the eternal nature of God affects his sin, hatred of sin. His eternity makes the punishment more dreadful than his power. Because though his power makes it sharp, it is his eternity that renders it 
perpetual. Since it endures forever, it is the sting at the end of every lash. Friends, it is this understanding of the nature of God's hatred for sin that drives us to the cross of Jesus. Because if we have ever any hope in this life or the life to come, it is because the eternal judge, it is because God who has given us a way of forgiveness. Who can rightly understand the wrath of God against sin? Jesus can. Because it was poured out on him of the cross. All the sins committed in the past, all the, the sins that will be committed in the future, where God poured out the cup of wrath, stored out for all time on the punishment of his son. And we know that Jesus cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, this eternal God eternally judges if you want to see the consequence of sin, look at the necessity and nature of the cross. We needed salvation. God's wrath must have been matched. And God went as far as to sacrificing his son for it. Friends, the nature of God and his eternal nature helps us to understand our need for God. We might look at our life, we might look at the world, what the world says is good now is starkly against what God says is good. That we know and understand the Bible and we understand how we want to live and it can be starkly against how God wants us to live. Friends, this is not something for us to make light of. It's the thing that should drive us to our knee and cry out to mercy to God. Because it is his eternal nature that he will never change against his hatred of sin. And, and because of this eternal nature of his hatred towards wrath, it should understand our need to make him Lord. Because the great flip side of this eternal nature of God is that he is a God of eternal mercy. That his forgiveness and justice and grace and all that he gives us in the work of Jesus Christ will not run out. And because of this, number four, God's mercy gives us eternal perspective. Verse 12 says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love, so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for we for as many years as we've seen adversity, let your work be seen in, by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Quickly as this ends, we see that 
that Moses writes to help us see that this God who is eternal has also given us eternal mercy. That the same judge gives us mercy despite our sin and gives us grace. How do we know this? Well, verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days carefully so that we might develop wisdom in our lives. We know that it is this God who has now made himself known. If God knows the full perspective of life and eternity, then it is him that we should go for wisdom. Moses says that we, because of this, can trust God to guide our paths, guide our lives. And so the question becomes, are you looking to this eternal God for direction in your life? Are you reading the scriptures to understand more of his nature, the more of his ways for your life? Are you finding accountability with others that you might say that, yes, I have given myself to you and you give yourself to me, that because in this, we want to follow God faithfully. In verse 13, Moses cries out, God, turn and give us mercy. He says, how long? Turn and have mercy compassion. That word is mercy on your servant. Satisfy us with what? Your faithful love. See, Moses understood the constant nature of God, the eternal nature of God, of God being always merciful to his people. That even when they were stubborn Israelites, even when they were not faithful, even when they were rebellious to him, that God showed mercy to them. And friends, the same God who is eternal is rich in mercy to us. He will not renege on his promises. He will not fail those who is saved by the name of Jesus Christ. With eternal perspective, we know that our days are better in the future because of the work of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, our faith, a remedy to the eternal nature of God, understanding him is trusting Christ as Savior. That in his mercy that we are born again, that we know that in our last breath in this world that our first breath is in heaven. That we know that no matter what happens to us today, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard, that we know that our eternity is in his hands. The question for you today is, do you trust Christ as Savior? Have you been born again? Can you say on that day, the same one who resurrected and raised up Jesus will resurrect me? Because, friends, his eternal promise is sure. It will not fall away. He will not change his mind. He will keep his promise of salvation for eternity. Do you know him as Savior and Lord? Do you trust him with your life? The eternal, merciful God 
is good to us. Verse 14 to 15, because we understand this God is eternal, he deserves our praise. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days you has humbled us, for as many years we have seen adversity. What does it say? That we have joy when we wake up in the morning knowing that the eternal God is watching over us, that is keeping us from stumbling to sin, that God will abide in him forever and ever. The promise or hope in verse 1 that God is our dwelling dwelling place, our refuge in this generation will be ours for a thousand years and an eternity in the future. He holds us up. Hallelujah. And we are thankful and have joy that no matter what blip or promise that happened or bad thing that happens in this life, even if it's 105 or 10 years, will be a distant memory in all eternity. We see in verse 16 and 17, this mercy and eternal perspective, God helps us to see life in perspective in his grace. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Not only is God's work or his work will endure, but with his blessing, so will the work of our hands if we are used by him. God has gifted us with many skills. God has gives us opportunity to serve. God gives us this part of this world to do what? For his splendor, for his glory. And if we who fear how this world might end if we trust and work for eternal God, if we serve him with all of our lives, we know that with his blessing, working and serving for his goodness and glory, that the work of our hands will endure, not because of us, but because of him. So that God will use us, whether we're a student or we're a professor, whether we're a farmer we're a shipping manager. Whether we're a techie or we're a stay-at-home mom, God will redeem the works of our hands when we serve his will to glorify him. What we do in this life by working by faith and faithfully and by sharing the gospel of God, he will use us to glorify himself and redeem the world in his name. Friends, our lives can last for eternity by God's grace, his hope, and his work in our lives. So we must trust in this eternal God. Matthew Henry, an old commentator, writes this, against all the grievances that arise from our own mortality and the mortality of our friends, we may take comfort from God's immortality. We are dying creatures, and all of our comforts in the world are dying comforts. But God is an ever-living God, and they shall find him. So who have him for theirs? Do you have a personal relationship with God? And friends, 
Our mortality is not a death sentence in the hands of an eternal God. We have hope. So do you trust God for your life, for this one and the one to come? Do you turn to God to take advantage of his eternal view in your life? Do you fall deeper into worship to this great eternal God? Let us pray. God, we are thankful for this reminder of your immense eternal nature that you will never change, that we can put our trust in you, that we need to trust you as a personal Savior and Lord, that we might not need to worry for today or tomorrow because you hold it in your hand. You already know the outcome. We are thankful that you are eternal, outside of time, controlling all things. But God, we must have a personal relationship with you. So God, I pray right now, if there's someone here who came by the invitation of a friend, who came and has visited here, and God, you have been working and moving, and God, they've heard the gospel truth, and they've been watered by friends and family's prayers, and they've talked to them through the gospel, that God, that today you would reveal to them the wonderful gift of being loved and carried by an eternal God, that they would trust in the Savior who gives them access to this wonderful God. I pray for their salvation today, and I pray for us who trust in in you, that God, we would not try to mold our lives without looking to you, our eternal King. We're thankful for this reminder. Change our hearts. Change your minds in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hebron Baptist Church. We pray as you have listened, the Holy Spirit has worked in your heart that you may faithfully follow Him. Most importantly, we hope that you've been drawn into a relationship with God. At Hebron, we believe that the gospel is the central message of the Bible. The gospel is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. But he was raised from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God. The most appropriate response to hearing this good news is turning from sin and turning to Christ. Don't stay far from God. Instead, repent and believe in Christ and be brought into an intimate relationship with him. If you would like more information about this life-changing decision, please contact us through our website at hebronbaptist.org or even better, come see us on a Sunday morning. May God bless you as you follow him.